You're listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm your host, Lillian Vasquez. Our guest is Chris Thornburg, director of the UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting. Thank you for joining us. Wonderful to be here. UC Riverside School of Business recently hosted their Inland Empire Economic Forecast Conference. But first of all, and I want to talk about that and some of the findings and what you shared with everyone, but first and foremost, have we recovered from the recession? Absolutely. And I mean that locally and I mean that nationally. Now, I appreciate that there are those who say we haven't actually recovered. For example, GDP is still about 2% below trend. And of course, nationally, we have about 3 million fewer jobs. But those are, from my perspective, not exactly the right metrics you need to be looking at. When you think of recessions and you think of the need for government policy, what we really need to be thinking about is, is when people are struggling. They're, they're losing income. They don't have job opportunities. Their wealth is declining. They have to pull back on spending. And on that basis, the economy has more than recovered mm, right. um, because of excessive stimulus at the, at the national level. Uh, we live in a world right now where labor markets are incredibly tight. The stock market's near an all-time high level. There's been a, a $29 trillion increase in net household wealth over the course of the last two years. We have the highest number of job openings ever seen in the United States at over $10 million right now. So everything says people are fine, consumption is great. In fact, consumption is so strong, it's actually generating this inflation. All right. Well, we're going to so talk yes, about that. Recovered, yeah. Okay. So now I want yeah. you to share some of the findings according to the forecast in a few different areas. One of the comments I read was that the current economy and the driving of inflation and the supply chain disruption. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Okay, so again, this all boils down to excessive amount of stimulus by the federal government. For example, the direct payments of various sorts to, to households in the form of, of, say, these subsidies. For every dollar of lost earnings over the course of the last two years, they gave Americans back three and a half dollars. It's a three and a half to one replacement rate, which is so far over the top, it's, it's hard to even fathom. Now, people couldn't take that money and do things they might want to, like, you know, go to Disneyland or go to your favorite restaurant because those have been closed. Right. And so what happened is people went and they started buying goods. And it's interesting, even now, even today, you look at spending on durables and non-durable goods, they're they're not only above where they were pre-pandemic, they're way above where they would be just relative to trend. And what that tells us is, again, we have excessive amount of demand for these products. These products are either made overseas or they are made here out of components that are overseas. Right. And this incredible demand has just caused the, the supply chains to just get locked down because they're just they weren't prepared for this. So it's it's a function of this crazy demand we're seeing in the US right now. So the supply chain disruption is affecting everyone, our economy, lives all over the place, and our ports for sure. Do you see a way out of that dilemma? I know what President Biden has done and and doing that 24, you know, making it longer. But if all the legs aren't doing the same thing, all going to 24, then what good is it going to do? (laughs) Right, right. But, you know, look, there's two ways of answering that question. One, one is about when will this get sorted out? And the answer is somewhere in the spring or, or early summer next year, they'll finally catch up. I mean, right now it's high season as it is, and 
you know, like as already noted, they, they just weren't prepared for this. But again, the deeper question is this, is uh, the only thing that we're suffering from right now is our inability to feed our excessive demand for products. <laughs> I mean, keep something in mind. It's not like Americans are struggling because they can't buy stuff. The economy is struggling because people want to buy more stuff than we can keep up with, right? Okay. So, you know, take autos, for example. We know used cars are up you know, 60 70% in prices. The reason for that is the auto industry had actually been getting rid of inventories as of 2017. Last year when the pandemic hit, they believed all the hoo-ha about depressions. They cut back even more. This incredible demand for new cars just completely emptied the lots. Inventories of new cars in the United States have never been lower than they are right now because they can't keep up with demand. And so as a result of that, the price of used cars are going up. Now, we shouldn't feel bad for people except for, you know, everybody wants to buy a new car and they can't. Oh, boo-hoo. From a, you know, it's kind of what, what you would call it. You call that kind of a Bel Air problem, if you right? Would, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it, from my perspective, we shouldn't be clasping our hands and worrying about it. What we need to be worrying about is all this government debt and all this monetary reserve quantitative easing that's driving all this demand. Because, you know, what stimulus giveth, eventually stimulus has to take away. <laughs> our, our, we're going to have to pay back that debt. We're going to have to fight off inflation. And then, and then what's the economy going to look like? So we, we need to stop worrying about the economy right now. The economy's fine, thank you very much. We need to start refocusing on the long run, and that's about having a, a federal government that can actually balance its budget for once. It's about having a Federal Reserve that isn't so seemingly gung-ho to generate long-run structural inflation in this nation. And that's what worries me the most. All right. Also in your speech or in your this conference, there is a phrase that interests me. It says, a lot of public money that created private sector wealth. What are you saying there? Well, again, so all this money goes pouring into the economy. And, you know, it's interesting because if you go back 50 years ago, 60 years ago, the big bouts of inflation in the 70s or even before then, it was a simpler time. People didn't have as much access to financial markets as they do today. Right. Well, nowadays, in this kind of world, when we put tons of money into the economy, some of that money turns into goods inflation, but some of it clearly turns into asset price inflation. Look, we've seen a 20% increase in home prices over the course of the last year in the United States. 20% increase in home prices. That's off the charts. The stock market has the second highest P.E. ratio ever. Um, kids are taking their stimulus checks, and they're, they're putting it into Robinhood, and they're, they're buying derivatives on their phones. Look at Bitcoin, which you know, it's worth, what, $64,000 or something right now. From an economist's perspective, the value of Bitcoin is zero. When you see these kind of things, it should worry us because it's all signs of an overheating economy, overheating asset markets. And again, we know what happens on the back end of these things. You can look at what happened in the late 90s or the dot-com nonsense or the subprime nonsense. It's the same sort of thing. But now the underlying root of these instabilities is not coming out of Wall Street, but now it's coming out of Washington, D.C. Let me take a second here to reintroduce our guest is Christopher Thornburg. He's director of the UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting. In this same conference that you had, I want you to share a little bit and some key findings. Will you talk about the key findings that relate to, and you just mentioned it, 
the housing market, and you said a 20% increase. Talk to me a little bit more about the housing market for and as it relates to the Inland Empire region. <laughs> well, home prices across the United States are going up like crazy, and yes, in the Inland Empire as well. It's the same story. The markets were cool a couple of years ago, not because there was anything fundamentally wrong with them, but because uh, interest rates were up and there was some change in tax laws. And we were telling ourselves stories that somehow or other the housing market was on the verge of some other downturn, which was nonsensical. The fundamentals were fantastic. Now, the slowdown was a lot driven by that, what you would say is, is that kind of confidence indicator, right? Look, uh, I, prices may go down. Uh, there's no rush. We'll look for that perfect house. We'll take our time. And so the market got really cold. There wasn't a lot of sales. We get into the pandemic, we hear, hear even more preposterous, scare stories. You got people saying 30 million people are going to get foreclosed on or some such nonsense, right? Craziness. Instead, we're sitting at home. We're getting tons of money building up because we're not spending. And then the government's giving us more interest rates are pushed by the Fed down to these crazy low sub 3% levels. And everybody says, hey, what a great time to go out and buy that house. And the next thing you know, there's 60 people trying to buy every house because there's no inventory of homes out there for sale either. So, again, it is a phenomenon of a ton of cash and cheap debt that's pushing a lot of people to go out and buy homes in a limited supply market because this is a tight inventory market that reflects itself in a, in a giant jump in prices. Again, at some level, for those looking at the housing market and feeling like it's, it's becoming even less attainable, remember, it's going up this high because there is that demand out there. The people who are buying homes in California can afford the homes they're buying. The problem is we don't have enough homes to buy, which is why that marginal price is so high. It reflects the income of that, of that last buyer who gets to buy a home. You want to fix prices? Build more supply. All right. So let me just ask this. If I have a home ready to sell and I didn't sell it four or five months ago and I put it on the market today, am I going to do better than I would have four or five months ago? Or is it going to oh, be just yeah. as strong? Oh, yeah. No, no. It's still going up. No, no. There's no problem selling homes right now. The inventories are incredibly tight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, in yeah. that answer that you gave a little bit earlier, you were saying, you know, people are sitting at home. They're not spending their money. The government's giving their money. Then why then were there so many people or so many families that were hurting so, so desperately? I, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, you see, this, is, this, is, this kind of goes back to my point. We have convinced ourselves that somehow or other the U.S. economy has been suffering dramatically. It is not. Between 2016 and 2019, real incomes went up. We saw declines in wealth inequality, declines in income inequality. Between 16 and 19, the greatest rate of pay increases were for lower-skilled workers because they had a lot of job opportunities because the labor markets are so tight. There weren't that many people suffering desperately. In fact, from a long-run standpoint, things look pretty darn good. But we have convinced ourselves otherwise. These public narratives that we've built are exactly the narratives that caused our economy to overreact to this, uh, this situation. Hmm. So there weren't so many families suffering out there. The data would tell us a different kind of story. And even now, you know, it was a very interesting pandemic. The thing that happened in this pandemic that was really more profound than anything else, and we're still not coming to grips with it, but during the pandemic, about two and a half million Americans, maybe a few more, decided to retire. 
Now, these were people who were on the edge of retirement anyway. They were ready for it. They had the assets, but they just had, kind of hadn't made the decision to do so. Pandemic came, and in mass, these people did. The labor force is down by 3 million people. We've never seen that happen in the United States, this enormous drop in the labor market. It just doesn't happen. Now, these people are gone. We now have incredible numbers of job openings in the United States. And right now, the earnings power for people who are in the lowest quartile of the income distribution are actually seeing significantly more rapid increases in their earnings, not only than relative to the last 15 years, but actually faster than people with a graduate college degree. So today, the opportunities for workers are better than they've ever been. It's, it's a great time, to be honest with you, for a lot of low-skilled folks because they're actually having opportunities that they wouldn't have had a decade ago. Right. So now we're talking about the job market. And I'm going to go back to that. And I want to talk about that. But I just want to push a little bit more on your comment because you say that you didn't see it the same way, that families weren't hurting when there are so many businesses and small businesses that were hurting, I interviewed a lot of them that their businesses were closing, that they were losing, they didn't have customers. And, and granted, most of them well, were uh, well, when, service when, when are we talking, by the way? Uh, well, I'm totally talking during the pandemic. Okay, during the pandemic itself. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was a lot, no, no doubt, there was okay. a lot of disruption in the economy. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Some small businesses did happen to close. There's no doubt about it. I would also point out, that right now, over the last year, we've seen a record number of applications to reopen new businesses. So a lot of those folks are out there getting ready to start something new. And by the way, the faster they do it, the better off they're going to be because there is so much demand in the economy right now. It's a great time for an entrepreneur to get a job off the ground. Hmm. Here's the big problem a lot of these new entrepreneurs are facing. There's no one to hire. Because, again, the labor market is so, so incredibly tight right now. You can't walk a block in this state and not see a help wanted list. Oh, right. So let's talk about the job market. When I graduated yeah. from high school, I felt like seniors graduating from high school and individuals graduating from college, it was the best job market available because you can't go down the street. Just like you say, every business, every company, every type of industry is hiring and the fact that I did an interview earlier, they're giving bonuses in this job market. So talk to me about yeah. the job market as it reflects here in the Inland Empire. Well, look, it's the same condition in most of the United States. We have a massive labor shortage. Now, this has been brewing for a while. This is pure demographics. Boomers were this enormous generation. You know, boomers regularly came out of families, eight, nine kids. They all went out and had 1.7 kids. And the, the, the shift in the demography because of that is so profound. We have a population pyramid sitting on top of a population column. Well, now that boomers are on the edge of retirement, they're starting to go on to that, that stage of life, the number of people in their prime working years in the United States has basically stalled. Uh, in fact, it's actually gone in a little bit negative at this point in time. So there's a decline in people who are actually able to work. So this is going to be in place for a while. We don't have any easy solutions to this. Our immigration system is, is uh, completely broken, as we all know. So this is a nation that's going to be facing labor shortages. Now, we didn't see it in the short run. Again, it's interesting. A tight labor market, a 3.5% labor market, is a market which, you know, there's just opportunities where 
employers are kind of telling their folks, hey, stay another year, stay another two years, right? <laughs> um, I'll give you a little bonus. I'll give you because I don't know who's going to take your job. Mm. Well, again, all those people up and left, over two and a half million people retired. And again, they weren't forced to retire. They retired because their home is 20% up in value. They refied it at 2.8%. And oh, yeah, by the way, the stock market portfolio in the 401k has never been higher. So, yeah, it's a great time to go ahead and move on. And we now have labor shortages. And, you know, I, I laugh at this because, again, we saw this coming. Yet going back to this constant narrative, we have to tell ourselves about how terrible everything when it's clearly not. You know, two years ago, uh, we were running around terrified of robots. Remember, the robots are going to steal our jobs, right? Oh, AI is going to steal our jobs. Now, mind you, it's the same scare story we've been telling ourselves for 300 years. But here it comes again, you know, because these narratives are like epidemics. They keep coming back. Oh, I, I'm just laughing now, right? Bring on the robots. We desperately need them. I hear you. Right? All right. I'm Lillian Vasquez. This is Inland Edition. We're going to take a quick break. We'll continue our conversation with Chris Thornburg, director of UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting. Stay with us. I'm Lillian Vasquez, and if you're just joining us, this is Inland Edition. We're talking about the economy with UC Riverside's Christopher Thornburg. Okay, Chris, so you definitely have a different outlook on this, right? And, well, different from others that I hear, so that's what I mean by different. I want you to talk a little bit about what sectors moving forward will grow and what sectors will struggle. Well, if you look across the economy right now, it's kind of a full court press, right? Okay. Uh, housing, they're building lots of housing. We have logistics. They can't hire enough people to put up enough warehouses. Right. The places that are actually struggling right now is the service sector. And, and what's interesting is it isn't because there isn't the demand. I mean, who hasn't had the experience in the last six months of walking into a restaurant and half the tables are empty, and you go, well, yeah, I want to get a table, and they'll oh, be a 45-minute wait. Yeah, Half right. the tables are empty. Well, I don't <laughs> I can't man them, right? So right. interestingly enough, again, the problem right now, we typically think of problems in our economy as being caused by a lack of demand. Here you have a situation that is being caused by a lack of labor supply, and it really is hurting you know, parts of the industry that should be able to come rocketing back right now. They just can't get the manpower to do so. And, you know, that goes back to the retirement thing I was talking about. A lot of people always say, well, you know, that doesn't make, you know, I hear your story, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it's the type of people at the top of the food chain who retired and we can't get busboys. How does that work? But it's a cascade effect. You know, the person at the top retires the person right below them gets pulled up a, a, a rank, if you will. The next person gets pulled up. The next person gets pulled up. And you see, of course, an enormous amount of, of really entry-level positions that are, yes, giving people opportunity. Hmm. You know, another one of the myths that's been floating around over the last year is the idea that the reason people aren't going back to work, that we don't have as many jobs, that we have these, these unfilled openings is because of unemployment insurance. The argument being made is, oh, you know, you give people unemployment and they're just lazy. They just want to sit around and do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I, I know for sure that there's probably some young guys who got an unemployment check 
bought some weed and a PlayStation and they're still having fun on the couch. Fine. <laughs> but that doesn't describe the vast majority of the people out there right now. These people are fully cognizant of the fact that they have opportunities. Mm. Um, I like to say there's a big difference between I don't want to work and I don't want to work here. Mm. And, and really what you're seeing is the I don't want to work here phenomenon. I have opportunities. And I'm going to go out there and look for something that has a career path that may offer some benefits and some training. And the reality is, is very clear. For those companies in our region who can't hire folks, you're going to have to offer more money. You're going to have to change your tune. You're going to have to do it a different way. Now, again, that's great for workers, but it's going to be tough on businesses. They're going to have to adjust. This right. is a whole change in your cost structures, and you're going to have to figure out how it works. One of your talking points in your presentation, it says the Inland Empire has experienced an even stronger economic recovery than the rest of California. Why do you say that, and why is that true? Well, I would actually argue a little different, right? It's not that they recovered faster. It's that they were never really hit. Mm. They didn't suffer the way that the the coastal economies did. And the reason for this is, again, the, the pandemic was a completely different kind of economic shock. This downturn was all about a supply shock. And the difference between a supply shock and a demand shock is, is best thought this way. In 2010, we didn't go to restaurants because we couldn't afford to. In 2020, we didn't go because we weren't allowed to. Right. Now, what do you do with that money? You spend it on something else. And so people took that money and they spent it on stuff, a lot of stuff they bought online. Well, guess where that stuff online is purchased from? The Inland Empire. The warehouses were humming. The logistics center were buzzing. Mm. The taxable sales in the Inland Empire are up like 40%. Hmm. The place is awash with revenues right now on that side. Obviously, your TOT taxes took a hit at the beginning. But even then, the advantages came back. You look at San Francisco. Their economy is still devoid. A lot of people are still not driving in for work. There's no international tourists. They still aren't having the big national conventions. Mm -hmm. A year ago... Palm Springs was wall-to-wall with people who went there because they wouldn't get on a plane, but they needed to get out of the house. Right. And so, again, the kind of drive-in tourism centers, Coachella Valley, absolutely rocking and rolling through this thing. And, again, it goes back to the idea that in a lot of ways, while parts of the Inland Empire got hurt, at the same time, parts of the Inland Empire really benefited from this thing. And and now overall, the region just never took the hit. Now, they have an advantage coming back because, you know, they never got rid of a lot of their workers. And because they didn't get rid of their workers, they don't have to worry about rehiring people. So in a very real sense, the places that really did see big declines like San Francisco, they may have a much tougher time coming back. Now, mind you, there's a lot of money in that town. We all know about right, that, right? right? So I'm not feeling bad for that city. But <laughs> Nevertheless, the challenges they face over the next few years are completely different than the Inland Empire. Uh, the Inland Empire did remarkably well through this situation, and, and they're in great shape to take advantage of this next surge in economic growth. Well, that's good to hear. Now, I want to ask you one more thing from your presentation. Again, the Inland Empire. You noted that it's the 13th largest metropolitan area in the United States. Is this based on geography or population? And then you talked about a major league franchise not being in the area. Why did you use that um, as a comparison? What were you getting to there? Well, what we were talking about is labor force. 
right? So if you look at the labor force, the number of people who are in the labor force in the Inland Empire, it's number 13. It's bigger than a lot of states. <laughs> it's bigger than some economies you might be surprised about. It's four and a half million people. It's an enormous economy, but it has always suffered from this idea that it's nothing but a glorified suburb of L.A. and Orange County and then North San Diego. It's not. It's an economy unto itself, but it right. hasn't really been able to create that identity, right? And this is a region that doesn't have any what I would call big downtowns. Right. Big downtowns are an incredibly important part of an economy. It is where a lot of high-end work gets done um, by lawyers and R&D and consultants. They don't work in the burbs. They work in dense downtown areas. So from our perspective, particularly now that you're going to have a lot more work from home, you start to realize that these dense job centers are going to end up being more important than ever. And now more than ever for the Elon Empire to step up, to build its own identity, to bring in that next generation of high-end jobs that want to be in those dense urban environments, it is a region that needs to invest in some centers of gravity. Mm. Right now, all the centers of gravity in the Inland Empire are not in the Inland Empire. It's downtown LA. It's downtown Irvine. It's, it's, these are the places that are attracting those kind of jobs. To change that, to have your own identity, you got to start building dense centers. Now, in our minds, there are three places you can do this. Ontario, San Bernardino and Riverside. And Riverside, I think, is, is doing it, although I would like them to candidly be more aggressive about what they're doing. San Bernardino, I think, is, is an amazing place with phenomenal potential. Right. Now it, it needs a lot of a little TLC. We all know that. A right? little? It, needs, it needs a bunch of investment. It needs a new plan. But they got great leadership over there. And I should also point out that I have the opportunity of doing some work with our leadership on this issue. Hmm. about how you could take that incredible asset of that old downtown in San Bernardino yeah. and transform it in, into a new, you know, 21st century kind of downtown that will end up really being, if you will, that center of gravity that the Inland Empire so desperately needs. Yeah, wouldn't that be lovely? I'd love to see downtown oh, build that way. It has the potential, and it once was a all-American city at one point back in, you know, the 70s. All right. So lastly, what is your greatest takeaway? What's the forecast or what are you projecting for the Inland Empire for 2022? Well, look, the economy is rocking and rolling. Hmm. Uh, Things are up, up, up. And the area is just going to go, go, go. I want the place to, to grasp its potential. I want them to invest in housing and take on density in the way that can really, I think, help that region become what it can be. Now, with all that in mind, there is a cautionary part to all this. And it goes back, of course, to all our worries and all our conversation about this crazy stimulus. Inflation is the real deal. Asset bubbles are the real deal. Government debt's the real deal. And I do worry about the federal situation. We all have to be cautious right now. So make those plans, but don't get too swept up in the madness because at some point in time, Again, what, what stimulus giveth, stimulus taketh away. And we have to wonder what that means for this next expansion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your point of view on the economy for our region. I really enjoyed listening to you. My pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Chris Thornburg is director of the UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting. You can find out more on their website at ucreconomicforecast.com. 
www.ncpodcast.org. We'll include a link when we post this episode on our program page. Join us again next week for Inland Edition, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. and 6.30, right here on 91.9 KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash inlandedition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or search for Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Sharina Wad, Rick Dulock, and David Fleming. And we get technical website and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm your host, Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.